Today's episode is brought to us by BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Just like if you were stranded on an island, you would write, help! Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, it was comparing myself to others, not feeling like I'm enough, and being afraid to express my needs. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed anytime. The service is available for clients worldwide and you can start communicating in just under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp is not the right solution for you if you have thoughts of hurting yourself or others. There are other numbers that I list in the show notes that you can go to for those services. With BetterHelp, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and Financial aid is available. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Quote, after counseling with Jennifer Dressler for three weeks on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, and trauma, I really appreciate Jennifer's empathy and kindness. I feel heard and supported, and she has offered some really helpful practices. End quote. Another BetterHelp user, quote, After counseling with Michelle Solo for two weeks on issues concerning depression, stress, anxiety, addictions, and self-esteem, Michelle and I have just begun communicating and already I have boundless hope for my future. She's very tool-oriented and doesn't just listen. I've never before had a therapist who is so actively involved in taking steps to help you get better. I would highly recommend her, especially for those who have lost faith in therapy. I did. She's going to surprise you. So please visit betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for my Before You Kill Yourself listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Leo. So, Dave, you served in the U.S. military special operations for how long? Yeah, so 20, 25 years. So from when I was uh, 17 years old, I joined the military and just retired about two years ago after 25 years. So long time. Wow. Well, one, congratulations and thank you for your service. Uh, two, what led you at 17 years old uh, into joining the military? Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Wyoming called Lander, uh, Jackson Hole in Lander, and I always just wanted to be outside. I mean, I just wasn't really excelling at school. Um, I was decent at school, but wanted to be outside. Um, My dad was a climbing ranger for Grand Teton National Park. My mom was an audiologist and uh, really both the... um, into helping people. And my, uh, my grandfather actually served in the, the Navy for the Marine Corps. He was a surgeon, Navy surgeon, signed to a, 
uh, Marine unit in Korea. And so I just grew up on this influence of service, really. But the other flip side of that is I was always interested in the military, interested in being outside, interested in being around um, dynamic people, but I wasn't real sure I was interested in the, the stringent military lifestyle, right? And so I made this decision at about uh, you know, 16, 16 and a half to um, join the Army National Guard. And the way that my mom tells this story is I came home one day at 17 and said, slid some papers across the dinner table and said, hey, will you sign these? I want to go to Army boot camp. And they're like jaw hit the floor. Like, well, you're what? Like, this is not, did, was not projected, right? And um, for me, it was a real, a, a real uh, deep decision that I wanted to do this with my life, but I also wanted to see how I did before I committed to something like the special operations or what I wanted to do with the SEAL teams. Um, I'd grown up on SEAL team stories, one of my dad's best friends. Uh, I call him my bastard uncles because uh, he had a few few Vietnam era uh, friends that were SEALs that I still, you know, are very tight with to this day. And, um, you know, I wanted to live in those guys' footsteps. I wanted to live in my dad's footsteps and my grandfather's footsteps. And, but I also wasn't sure I was ready to, you know, have someone barking orders at me. So it was uh, the National Guard when I was 17. I went to Army boot camp. Um, in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, actually, and then uh, and then went back to high school. So, like, wrap your head around that. Like, you know, a sophomore, junior year in high school during the summer, all your friends are partying and chasing girls and driving and doing outside stuff, and I'm like putting a dress uniform on in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Like, it was a unique experience looking back on it, and I was all about it. I didn't even see that other stuff going on. It was just solely focused on, you know, getting through uh, the things that I wanted to get accomplished. And, and so uh, I went, I went to boot camp, and then I went back to high school, finished my senior year in high school. And, uh, you know, got through that, I will say or barely got but I did get through that. And then, um, and then actually went back to army artillery school, again, in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And, you know, just funny how little things work. I was sitting, I, I, I did well in artillery school. I was an honor grad or distinguished honor grad. And I had the opportunity to have lunch with uh, the colonel, the commanding officer, probably Lieutenant Colonel at the time of the training company. And he says, hey, uh, you know, if you, ever, if you ever need anything, call me. And he slid his card across the table and actually kept it. And, and you know, I get back to my unit Army National Guard unit. You got to think this is well before 9-11, right? Like well before 9-11. This is in, you know, 1998, 97. And um, small little artillery unit is a National Guard unit in Wyoming, training a couple times a month, uh, you know, a couple couple weekends a month, a um, couple weeks a year, and doing good stuff, but not at the level that I personally wanted to be at. And uh, so I called this guy up, this colonel, and said, hey, do you remember me? And he said, oh, yeah, I remember you. And I was like, oh, I can't believe it. No one ever calls me. What can, I, what can I do? What can I help you with? And I was like, yeah, I want to get out of the Army. And he's like, that's not what I had in mind when, um, when I gave you that card. 
right? What's the deal? Like, you get in trouble. Yeah. What's the deal? And I was like, no, 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 no. I told him. And um, he was like, well, okay, I, I understand that, you know, young man, but what about the Rangers? I was like, eh, not really interested. Okay. What about special forces? Ah, not really in interested. Okay. What about like a dive unit? And I was like, no, not interested. I want to be a Navy SEAL. And, um, you know, I got all these uncles that are frogmen, and that's what I want to do. It's in my bones. And he was like, okay, I'll make you a deal. You call me back in like, you know, six months. And, uh, and, uh, in between then you do a really good job for your unit and I'm going to call your commanding officer and we're going to have a conversation. We'll see. And so I, I worked for a logging company during that time period in Wyoming called Double Tree Logging, living up in the middle of nowhere in the sticks, like in the woods. And uh, just every day solely focused on this goal and checking off, like had the calendar with the X's through it, right? Like working through it every day. And then, um, and then to the day I called him back and he said, man, I can't believe you remembered, called me right back. And he said, uh, I called your unit. Sounds like you've done a great job. I was actually getting ready to get my own gun crew as an artillery, you know, cannoneer. And uh, so he worked and helped me get a conditional release to join the Navy. And then I sort of did this whole thing again because I, I ended up having to go to Navy boot camp and then a Navy, a Navy school. And, you know, that's a whole, that's a, a funny story in itself there, right? Like I want to be a SEAL at the time there was no SEAL job. Like you had to be in the Navy first, right? And you have to be part of the Navy, whatever that job is in the Navy, a bosun's mate, a rigger, uh, you know, like you got to pick a job. And I'm like, I, I don't want any of these jobs, right? And so um, I picked, I, was, I asked the recruiter, I remember it. I was like, what's the fastest way to get to basic underwater demolition school? And he was like, um, which is SEAL school. And he's like, Seaman apprentice school. It's two weeks long. It's the quickest way to get through. You'll be great. But classic, uh, you know, recruiter format. It, it, it was very, uh, very easy school. But if you did not get through buds, you're going right to the Navy is what's called a deck seaman, right? Like you're going to be grinding paint, chipping paint, doing deck watch. And, and you're doing that for like three years. So when I got orders to SEAL training, it was uh, to the USS Tarawa as a deck sailor with a quick stop in buds with no expectation that I would have ever made it through buds, right? And so um, really that's that's what led me to the SEAL teams. And then, you know. So what was the projection for you? You said when you told your parents that you wanted to join the military, that that was not what they had projected. What was the, the mission at that time? Yeah, you know, I... I'm not sure they knew either, right? Like they, they knew that I, I likely wasn't going to be doing really well in college. Um, I was more of a hands-on sort of guy. I did well in athletics, but my focus definitely was not school for sure. I did well in things like English or reading. I was a voracious and still am voracious reader and can write, and, but just the focus of studying and, you know, those I just wasn't interested. I just wasn't interested. I felt like the world was such a huge place And my friends that were in college or in like small colleges in Wyoming or in, in university of Wyoming, Laramie. And um, for me, it was like, this world is a super unique place. My dad had taken me 
traveling to places like uh, Mexico and and Baja and uh, you know Nepal, Thailand, and like I had seen parts of the world, and you know thinking about sitting in a classroom for four years was not the answer that I was looking for. What was your the biggest emotional challenge for you uh, during this time? Oh, that's a good question. You're talking about like, I, I mean, I was 17 years old, right? Emotional challenges like, you know, your high school girlfriend breaking up with you or, you know, sucking at a swim meet or, you know, <laughs> getting caught staying out too late. Like, let's be honest, 17 year old guys have don't have a lot of big, big, big things on their mind. Uh, but but uh, I guess I'm referring to more like when you were in the military, you know, like you're away from home. And I know this is a part of what you wanted to do. Uh, but, you know, it's that thing of where we get what we ask for. There are other unexpected challenges that come with that. And I, I think about when I went away to um, play college football, you know, I'm from Chicago, I went to Indiana. And the first three weeks of camp, I couldn't sleep. I, I was reading a Bible every night. and and I don't, I don't know what emotional challenge there was. I just know that, uh, I guess anxiety was it because is although we were waking up at 6 a.m., we weren't going to bed till 10, I still couldn't sleep at night for those three weeks. Was there an experience like that for you or was it smooth sailing and excitement? And Yeah, I think, I think I, you know, I fell into the stereotypical young military nervousness right like how are my peers going to like me how am i going to do at these this next uh test or or um you know physical test or you know for me it was very much and, I, and maybe it's just the way that i look at life but it's very much uh you know we got to eat the elephant one one bite at a time and it's my whole life has been that way i i, I really don't stew on stuff maybe to my own fault sometimes, but it's like, um, you know, recently, recently I, I was talking to some speech pathologist that I was working with on some mental acuity things and, you know, workload and just getting, getting your brain smarter, understanding how your brain works. And she, she brought up this storyline about um, dealing with challenges and, and looking at the world as, uh, as elephants and rabbits. And I, I love it. Like I, I, it's such an easy analogy that the world is just going to throw rabbits at you all day, every day. Right. Like in those rabbits, they're trying to get you, they're trying to push you down and you got to smash rabbits, but you can, you can do them all. You can, you can shoot as many rabbits down as you want. They're still always going to come. Right. <clears throat> but you know, you miss one elephant and you're going to have, have some problems. So you know, like let's do a prioritization a little bit of what the elephants and what are the rabbits. And usually they start, they start being pretty obvious. You start thinking about, is that a rabbit or is that an elephant? And you're like, ah, oh, it's a rabbit. Uh, I, I like that analogy, but all I can think of is how quickly rabbits multiply and, and enough rabbits start to feel like an elephant. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's the problem. You gotta, you gotta keep the population down, man. So tell me about this program, the, the Be The One campaign and how that relates to helping uh, and, or bringing, at least bringing awareness to veteran suicide. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit of an interesting story. So, you know, I did, I did all this time in the, in the SEAL teams and, and 
went through a lot of this crazy, crazy experiential life, uh, losing friends, having teammates die in my arms, having, you know, lots of trauma really. And then, uh, and then when I get out, I start working, uh, I had a unique opportunity during, I got, I got hurt too. I'm going to back up. I got hurt in 2008, pretty bad. I had a frag grenade go off at my feet and put me down for a while. And then, uh, and then I, I had to take some time off. I had a chance to work in a mobility development group. So really doing vehicle engineering for the special operations community. So driver training, driver uh, coaching, curriculum development, um, testing uh, of vehicles, both motorcycles, four-wheel drive vehicles, big vehicles, armored vehicles, low-vis vehicles, right? This whole thing. And so I did that for about three years. And I found I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it because of the engineering. I enjoyed it because of the, the challenge with it and the, the, um, the success that you can get with it too. But during that time period, I met uh, Chip Ganassi, who owns Chip Ganassi Racing Teams. It's a legendary motorsports, really, really United States motorsports royalty. Um, you know, tons, tons of huge wins in both NASCAR, IndyCar, the old IndyCar series, which is called Cart Sports Car, you know, 200 big wins, if you will. And uh, I had the opportunity to connect with him during during one of our military tests. Actually, we just overlapped, and and you know, shared a couple meals together and talked, and and we just stayed in touch, right? We just stayed in touch when I was finishing out my career, and I had the opportunity to do a bunch of traveling with him and his whole team. Um, went to uh, the 24 hour Le Mans race in 2016, where, where the team went and won uh, with the Ford GT, which was a 50 year anniversary of winning against Ferrari, the famous movie Ford versus Ferrari, right? Like it's the, it's the redo of that 50 years later. And Chip Ganassi racing was the team that did that for Ford. And, you know, Chip and I had always spoken about doing something. Hey, we got to do something together. We got to figure this out. And nothing ever felt, it felt like it matched for me um, to come work for him or work with him. And, um, but I had this like 10 year internship with the race team. And I sort of jokingly say I had the longest internship that's ever been done at Chip Cadassi. And it was because I just, I spent so much time with him and I spent time at races, in meetings, uh, with the mechanics, with the truck drivers, with the management, senior management, with Chip with sponsors, you know, competition managers from Chevrolet and Honda and, you know, just this unique experience because I'm not working for him. I'm a frogman, sort of riding the coattails of a friend of a friend of a friend. Right. But I, I learned a ton and, and it was a really, really cool experience and it was a great opportunity as an offering. And so, you know, I went through my career with the SEAL teams, um, 25 years, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at my opportunities to either stay in and go to 30 years um, and probably not do what I want to be doing, which was not wearing a dress uniform. And, you know, the job that was offered to me at the time was a senior enlisted advisor for an admiral. And so, you know, that's not, not something that a frogman, you know, look for. That's not the career that you're looking for, right? Like, you think about a, a Navy SEAL doing Navy SEAL stuff, it's not being an admiral's aide or an admiral's senior enlisted advisor, even as important as that job is, 
Um, but at the same time, Chip was uh, starting a series called Extreme E, which is uh, all electric off-road global series. Um, and, and he was, he had just bought a team in the series uh, in, in, this just felt like the right mix, felt like the right match. And so I spoke to a couple of the managers and we had some conversations and I said, Hey, I'm interested. And they sort of put me on ice a little bit, which was good. I went through the, went through the interview process and they put me through the interview process, just like everyone else, which I really appreciated. And then, um, and then got the job. But the interesting thing and where it ties back into be the one is uh, you know, the, the marketing team at the race team knew my story, right? Like they know my story. They know a lot of my story and they know the details. I've had the opportunity to speak to them as a team to, to talk to them about some of my experiences. And one of, uh, you know, our, our marketing manager pulled me aside one day and said, Hey, we're working a deal, a sponsorship and partnership deal with American Legion right now. And the CFO, the chief marketing officer is a guy named Dean Kessel. And he is really interested in speaking to you about your experience with the military and, uh, and would like to talk to you. And how do you feel about talking to him about that stuff? And for me, that was like a pretty hard no. Um, I, I, I told everyone within the organization that I was unwilling to speak about my experiences in the, in the SEAL teams. And for me, it was, it was really two parts. It was, I'm probably, I was still probably coming to terms with some of it. And then the other side of it was, um, you know, a lot of that experience for me. And I, I truly am still a firm believer in that that organization is a bunch of quiet professionals. You know, there's been a lot of publicity with the SEAL teams and there's um, a lot of good publicity, a lot of bad publicity, but in general, it's a lot of it's just publicity and we shy from that. The community shies from that in general. Um, but, you know, rotten apples are rotten apples, if you will. And so for me, it was like, I don't want to be that guy, right? Like I still got lots of friends in the community. I respect what they're doing. Um, you know, we had a sign on the door that said, you know, what you do here, what you read here, what you see here, let it stay here when you leave here, right? And for me, that resonated. It was important. And so I was like, yeah, I'll talk to them. But, you know, what, what's this? What's the deal? Like, what, what do they want? They want they want another frogman puppet. I'm not interested in that. And he was like, no, they're really interested in what the American Legion's going to jump into is this generation's biggest problem in this military generation, this veteran generation's biggest problem. And they're, and they're considering uh, putting their weight behind the, the veteran suicide and servicemen suicide epidemic, really. And I was like, oh boy, okay, that's gonna have to make me think twice a little bit about this um, because I, it's something that I believe in. It's something that I, I feel passionate about. I've lost a lot of friends to suicide. I lost my brother, my older brother to suicide. And so, for me, you know, I had to, I had to reflect on that pretty hard where, where I felt like maybe in a small way I could help, even if it just, you know, 1%, if I can just help making a little bit of a 1% change. And, um, 
And so I sat down with Dean and Dean and I had some great conversations, right? And just talking, just talking as you and I are talking and asking about some of my experiences and some of my, you know, trials and tribulations and getting hurt and going through the, you know, the hospital system and, you know, four week inpatient brain clinics and just like crazy, crazy stuff that I had to do. And, and uh, as well as my experience losing my brother and lots of other teammates. And at the end of the day, I, I told Dean and, and that hey, I'll do anything I can to help you, right? Like whatever you need, I'm fully invested. Like I am, I am more than fully invested. I am vested in this, in, in this initiative. So let's get after it. If we're going to do it and I'm going to put my name to it, we're going to do it. We're going to do it the whole way. And uh, it was, he was excited about it. And so we had, we had a, a bunch of other conversations and at one point, you know, and where, where it really comes to full circle here is we are sitting at a, at a Indy race, Indy car race in Indianapolis in the Chip Ganassi racing team's hospitality suite. And, and I'm sitting there with Dean and he has this big folder and he's talking about like, Hey, all the things that the Legion's going to try to do. And, you know, all these initiatives and we're talking about metrics and, you know, how do we define success? How do you make a strategic difference? You know, and this, this number of, you know, 22 veterans are losing their life to suicide on a, on a daily basis is looming, right? Like it's looming. And, and all the things that he's presenting to me are, are very well put together. They're professionally put together. They're well thought out, but they're just not resonating. It's, it's just not getting it. And I'm sort of pushing them across and looking through them. And, and for me, I just kept thinking about one of my friends, um, a guy named Chad Wilkinson that lost his life to suicide. And I'm thinking about him or my brother. And I'm thinking, you know, all these, all these things that you're trying to fix and all we really need to do is if we can just get one, like if I could pull one of those guys back, and we've won, right? Like we have success and success breeds more success and it's no longer hope, it's action, right? And, and so I, I sort of closed up the, closed up the, uh, <laughs> closed up the pamphlet and slid it across the Dean, slid it across the table back to Dean. And I said, Dean, all you need right here is one. You just save one life, save save uh, or change the dialogue one time, you know, get one friend, one teammate to reach out, one family member to reach out. Let's just focus on one. Let's just, let's just try to get that connective tissue with just one person. And if we get a whole lot of ones, we're going to make a big difference. All right. And I think that really was really the start of this whole thing. Yeah. You know, early on when I asked you about, you know, what was your challenge in being um, in the military? The two things that you mentioned are, are the two things that when we look at the research on why people end their lives, uh, it, it resonated. When we, um, you know, the two things you mentioned were peers, what, what my peers think about me, and then also your performance. And we know that uh, the research shows that people uh, end their life for primarily two reasons, and I'm generalizing here, but one is uh, either um, a loss of connection to people or they feel like a burden 
right? And and that speaks to peers and performance that that you mentioned earlier. You know, the two things that that you were, um, you know, you saw as being your your the things that you were concerned with when you joined. What have you discovered uh, in this journey that that you've taken with Be the One and American Legion? Yeah, so you know, I think there's there's two facets of it, right? Like it's an individual learning. Like I'm putting myself out there I'm, I'm, and I'm having to reflect on my own life a little bit. Um, and there's a lot of learnings there for sure. Uh, you know, I haven't lived, lived the, 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 the cleanest life, if you will. I mean, I've had a divorce and struggling with my kids and, you know, just all of that. But then the other side, the other side of it is, um, you know, I, the veteran side of it is really what I would say is my veteran experience is the veteran experience, right? Like I picked up and left Virginia beach and San Diego and the places that I've, that I have uh, called home with my teammates, you know, that I know everyone. And we all, we have our, our instant friend group, right? Because it's who you're around, you're who you're surrounded with on a daily basis. And I picked up and moved to Indianapolis and I knew nobody other than the race team. Leo, I mean like nobody, right? And, and if you wanna talk about like a, a, a big hole in your gut, you know, you, yeah, okay, you can, you can schedule trips to go see friends, you can talk on the phone, you can you know, send texts back and forth, you can, you know, social media, stalk your teammates and see what they're doing and, you know, watch them on the news as they're creating headlines. And, but at the end of the day, when the lights go out, like you're just by yourself in your own head. Right. And that's can be pretty dark that it really can, because you've lost this sense of purpose. And, and, and if you think about that, if you think about that in the sense of the military, you can be, um, one of the one of the one of the ways I explain it is think about this. Think about a a seventeen year old or an eighteen year old's airman or airwoman, right? They join the air force, and you know they're just trying to do a good job. They're trying to do a good job, and they excel. And they're they're a crew member on an air. They're like a crew member on an aircraft, and they're doing maintenance and they're doing prep for the aircraft to fly. And then the pilots are taking off and getting all the glory. And they're, they're doing better and they're doing great. And then all of a sudden they're getting recognized and they're getting promoted. And the next thing you know, they're a crew chief, right? And they're a crew chief on an F-22, right? You $50 million aircraft, something like that. Outrageous. And they're in charge of that. They're in charge of the life support systems, all these specialized people, the mechanics, the team, all of that. And then, um, you know, let's just say, God forbid they're struggling a little bit at home or they're struggling a little bit with their family and they decide to have a, too many beers, you know, at their, you know, Christmas party and they get a DUI and somehow or another they get processed out of the military. Right. Or, or maybe they just retired or maybe they got out or maybe they decided to go to school or you name it. But the point is, is they're out. And then it gets real quiet and you're like, what is my purpose? What is my purpose in life? Right? Like yesterday I had a purpose. It was to lead people. It was to make sure this aircraft was up and running. It was uh, 
to make sure that aircraft did this mission and it was a national mission. And, you know, I, I woke up every morning excited about that. And a lot of the people in the military, when they leave the military, that's a, that sense of loss is, is dramatic. Right. And I felt that same thing. I mean, I literally felt that exact same thing. And, and I had the, I had the great opportunity to fall into a, a, a bigger team-based organization, like a professional motorsports team, where I had a leadership role, where I had, you know, people that I was working with for, that were working for me, and I still felt it, right? Like, and so if you think about it, if I was feeling it, um, you know, there's a lot of other people there, you know, 22 a day that are not feeling it, right? So it was, it was dramatic. Yeah, it makes me think about the pandemic and how, you know, people were going to work every day and the noise of the traffic in the office and, you know, the meetings and all of that. And then they're at home, you know, maybe alone. And maybe even if you're with someone, it's just like you said, it's such a dramatic drop, um, you know, based off what you were experiencing day to day and your purpose. And it changes your routine, your ritual, your, your sleep cycle. You know, I had a, a friend of mine who was who did the podcast and he was in the military and he discovered that when he got back, the only way he could sleep was to get an apartment next to the train tracks. He needed the noise of the trains going by to, you know, make him feel like less alone or make him feel more connected. Uh, what, you know, for yourself, you talked about divorce and kids. Did the divorce happen during your, while you were in the military? Did that happen after? No, after. I mean, it, right, right is when it was transition. Riley, you think about piling more onto that. Let's just pile all that stuff onto a transitional period as well. Make it even that much worse. Uh, tell me more. Can you tell me more about that? Because we know from research that it's during transitions that are so hard, right? where whether you're transitioning from high school into college or college uh, into a job or, you know, from your job to maybe now you've been transferred overseas, uh, you know, maybe you ought to have a baby, you're getting married, you're getting divorced. It, it's not so much, even if it's positive or negative, transition seems to be a sticky area to navigate. What was it about that transition of going from the military to coming home, which, you know, in the movies, it's so idealized and, and like, oh, it's a beautiful moment. The wife is standing there with the kids and, you know, everybody's on their P's and Q's. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've had to deal with that a whole, that what I call change management, managing change, change management, right? Like that's, that's something I'm generally pretty good at. I, I feel confident with it um, most of the time. And I think that's a lot of just self-assuredness and knowing that, uh, knowing the big picture, you are going to get through this, right? Like you are resilient. Let's just focus on that. And then let's, you know, start, start, you know, eating up these, these bunnies, smashing elephants. But, but, uh, you know, for me, it, it was a little bit of reverse. It was trying to make a decision if I was going to continue for 30 years or if I was going to get out. And, um, 
you know, there was some, there was a window there for me before this opportunity happened with the race team, where for me, it was like, I was, I was doing some really unique things with the military that I really enjoyed. And, uh, it was, you know, I, I was, you know, four months deployed, four months home for, for like three years. And, uh, you know, that just uh, chewed up, chewed up the relationship and spit it out. Right. And then, and then, um, is what, and it would have been a long time coming, you know, you do 20 deployments and, and, uh, you know, you just lose, you lose connection. And, and so it just sort of funneled a relationship sort of funneled at that point. And then I, you know, I actually made the decision to get out after, after we were already separated, but I do, I do agree with you that, that, that balancing sort of fog between two life-changing events can be a dangerous place, right? Like, and it is a fog. You're, you're wandering around a little bit and you got it. You have to find something that's going to anchor you in those moments. And it could be lots of different things, right? Like it, it can be service. It can be friends. It can be family, you know, it can be activities. It can be, you know, a lot of things for me. Um, for me, I think it was sort of coming in, coming after 20, 25 years, coming back in touch with, uh, with working out and trying to get my brain right and trying to, you know, live a healthy life is really, um, that's sort of what anchored me for probably a good nine months. And it, it was really, it was a healthy time. And I had some, I had some fortunate opportunity to work with some really good people during that time period that I, I consider some of my best friends and, and, uh, you know, kept me on a tight path personally and out, out of the fog. So yeah, it was good, but it was a, it is a challenging period. And I, I, I think more than anything is you have to recognize that you're in that period, right? Like that, that is the most important thing you can do because if you can recognize you're in that period, then you can take that pause and take that step back and be like, okay, I am in a transitional period right now. And um, it's can be a little dark. Like let's, let's start looking for a flashlight. And uh, maybe that flashlight is, is uh, you know, being the one, maybe that flashlight is asking for a little help or, you know, family member reaching out for me, it was my, my teammates, some of my teammates that were very close that were checking in on me and suggesting I go do some, some pretty unique programs and, and taking care of me and, Hey, you should go speak to this guy and do this and, you know, you know, connect with these people and nutrition stuff and really like a, a whole body awareness piece. But yeah. Well, I definitely want to dig into the details on that because as you mentioned earlier, it's about moving from hope into action and, you know, we have about maybe 20 minutes left and for, for my, my, veterans out there who may be, you know, looking at retirement or maybe not even retirement, but, you know, they are just going to transition from the military. What are some of those specific action steps that you would recommend uh, to other veterans out there? And I understand everyone's situation is different, but, you know, you're talking about nutrition, you're talking about programs and people to talk to. What were some of those things that helped to anchor you? Yeah, I think for me, um, <laughs> what that cocktail is, if you will, for each individual person is, uh, I think has to be really based on that person, 
in, in for me, it was really four or five different things that were really important for me. Number one, for me, it was like realizing that I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not an operator anymore, right? Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. I am stepping out of those shoes, right? And, and it was actually really good for me because what it let me do is it let me let go of the operator, you know, smash yourself mindset and, and, uh, and you're going to be harder than any, anybody. <laughs> and it let me sort of get back in touch with um, working out because it was enjoyable, like going for a bike ride with a buddy of mine, right? Like, I'm not talking about like going and killing yourself. I'm talking about you and a, you and a buddy going for an hour long ride at the beach, like every day. Right. And just sort of laughing and talking and riding next to each other and stopping and saying hello to people. And, you know, things that were before that, not an everyday occurrence. And it just happened to be that that friend for me is a very close friend that had, had already retired and had a great family. And for me, it was spending time with him and his family. And, and uh, so for me, that was really, really critical. Um, and then the other side of it was uh, trying to get a little bit more body awareness as far as, you know, what actually where my body is at, like it's broken down tons of deployments and um, you know, what does it actually need? And, talking to some really talented trainers and, and actually um, there's a program called Virginia high performance and a guy named Alex Oliver that runs it. And he, uh, I had the opportunity to do what one of his programs called return to service. And it's, you know, a four or five week program. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great program. It's, it's, um, you know, nutritionists, it's all your meals. It's, it's, uh, you know, chiropractic care, speech pathology. Is that awesome. just is that just for vets or is that for anyone? Um, his facility is really vet focused, um, and and uh, you know, and they're really they're looking for guys that have been hurt, you know, in the in the background. Um, but I learned a lot about myself doing that, and I did it. I had the, I had the chance really to do it twice, and and I came out of that with a whole bunch of different perspective. Right, different perspective, different perspective on sleep, different perspective on nutrition, different perspective on alcohol, different perspective on relationships, on memory, on uh, I mean everything. And so, you know, those two things, um, as well as as well as uh, as well as you know, taking a moment and just trying to figure out you know, what, what does the future look like? Like what, what, what does my future look like? And, and really taking some control of that. Um, sometimes, sometimes when you're getting out of the military, you feel like you're on this, this uh, magic carpet ride, right? Like you're on this magic carpet ride. And at some point the carpet's going to, it's going to stop flying and you're, you're either going to fall or you're going to step off it. And, and uh, you got to sort of figure out how to control that magic carpet. And, and, you know, I think that one of the other things that the, the American Legion does with their veteran service officers is, you know, guide that magic carpet and like actually figuring out what can help, what can help, um, 
you know, each individual veteran, whether that's putting in, whether that's putting in uh, disability claims or, or um, you know, job education or healthcare stuff, uh, VA hospital. I mean, that's what, that's really when you look at what the American Legion does, you know, they're over a hundred year old veteran service organization has a huge lobby in Congress. And, and uh, one of the big, really what they consider like the big five VSOs. And, and for me, um, like start the list, right? Like start the list and start checking stuff off the list. And that list, uh, you know, I'm still checking stuff off the list and I've been retired for two years, right? But making sure I look at some of my friends now and, you know, some of their stuff's not done yet and they've been retired for two years. And I'm like, man, what are you doing? You're stressed out and they're freaking out about stuff. And it's like, you got to get ahead of that stuff. You really do. You, you, no one, there's this analogy in the military that no one is going to look out for your career like you, right? It's not, it's not being self-centered. That's not what it is. It's just like how far, how high, how, how far do you want to go with this? And it's, you know, being retired, it's the same way in being retired in the military or, you know, getting out of the military. It's the exact same way, even more so because the day you retire, guess what? Admin doesn't give a shit about you. They don't care. You're just a number. You're on their distro, you know, post-retired distro. And so taking an active role in that, whether it's through a VSO like the American Legion or, or any of the others, or if you do it individually, if you're one of those guys that gets into the pubs and, and, and takes care of yourself, then I, I'm good. But for one of those, you know, for me, it was, it was really the combination of those three or four things, right? Like, finding happiness with a good friend group, enjoying being outside again, enjoying just being a human, not living and dying through training regimes and all that. And then, uh, and then, you know, health, healthcare, fitness, and making sure I was a little organized for the future. Talk to me about the alcohol, because I know so many people, you know, we either turn towards connecting with others or we connect with food, drugs, sex, and alcohol. How, you know, I, 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 to what extent was alcohol a part of your life? And what was the perspective change that you discussed uh, that you experienced on with alcohol? Yeah, so for me, I think, you know, for me, alcohol has never been a huge, huge crutch. Um, it definitely was there. I mean, it's there. Any any young operator, it's, it's there. I think that... Uh, in maybe the last 10 years, there's been a, a lot of shift with, with that. Um, and, and maybe even more so in the last five years. Um, for me, the thing that I learned is that I learned, I was tracking my sleep like meticulously and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, cause I got some I got horrible sleep, right. For a time period, I was getting really nasty sleep I'm talking like, you know, 15 minutes of REM sleep, you know, every two days type deal. And so for me, that stuff was, uh, the alcohol was like, Hey, you're going to not sleep as well. Right. And so for me, I was like, okay, if I want to sleep and I feel better and I'm tracking it and I can see it on the digits and I can see it uh, um, in my recovery and I can see it uh, and how I feel, then maybe I'm, I'm going to lay off that alcohol or, or I'm going to, you know, manage it much more stringently. Um, but I was also doing the same thing with when I ate, 
right? Like, you know, the later you eat, I, I you know, body wise, I run hot, right? And, and so like, um, if you eat late, you're hot. Well, guess what? You don't sleep very well, right? So maybe eat earlier and eat some almonds or something before you go to bed and you'll sleep better. And in it all, it's this like big circle that goes back to sleep because, because when you're, when you're rested, your, 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 your brain is working really is what it boils down to there. Yeah. I track my sleep with an app called sleep cycle. <coughs> They're not, we're not sponsored by them. And I found <laughs> that I have to actually stop eating four hours before I go to sleep because my metabolism is that slow. Some people, they can do two hours. I know like if you go to Europe, they're having dinner at like 10 PM or 11, but they're also like walking a lot more than we are. So like you said, it really is about the individual person and, and tracking how your body operates and, and, and recognizing too, that that changes over time. You know, you, you might find that you can eat later or you might have to stop eating earlier. You talked about uh, memory. Tell me about that. Were, were, were there some things that you've done to improve your memory or to, um, you know, handle the, I would assume you've had some ruminations on the loss that you've experienced in your life of people and an identity and things like that. Talk to me about memory. Yeah. So, uh, that's a good one. Memories, memory is a whole, a whole, whole topic there. I think that would be, be interesting. I, um, for me, I had a lot of, uh, so, you know, I had, I had a, a lot of blast exposure, tons of blast exposure. And if, if you look at blast exposure in, you know, the special operations community, it's almost synonymous with C, like CTE and football community, right? Um, you know, brain lesions and, you know, the things that all go into that, whether it's memory or sleep issues. I mean, all, all that slippery slope. Um, for me, memory is one of those things that I've always struggled with a little bit. And I, I've noticed it's slipping. Um, and so I, I've worked, uh, I've worked with a lot of different people over a lot of years trying to figure out exactly what that is. Right. And for me. And so, um, you know, I went up to a place called, uh, NICO national intrepid center of excellence in Maryland, the Walter Reed and did uh, a five week program up there, um, inpatient program, really a brain, brain study, right? Like, and they have, it's a great, great program. And if, you know, at some point you ever get any other veterans that have been to NICO, it's, it's a life-changing experience for sure. Um, but you know, I had a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of metal in my body and I was trying to do an MRI there to sort of see what my brain looked like called a PET CT scan. And I couldn't do it. And I was, I was actually sort of pissed off because I was like, man, I want to know, I want to see, I want to see what's going on in there. And they're sort of laughing at me and they, man, we can't, we can't do it. You got enough shit in your face that we're not, we're not going to do it to you. But um, for me, the thing that started helping is, uh, is just talking to people about it and talking to speech pathologists and, you know, talking to people you trust and sort of actually, digging down into some of those demons a little bit of about um you know having someone judge you you know and you're like for me it was coming off of a 25-year career in a leadership role you know some of that time in a leadership role and you know the last thing you want to admit is man i've struggled with some memory issues 
right? Like, and uh, then you go sit in front of a speech pathologist and they're like, okay, so we're going to play a little game here. And, uh, you know, at the end of this session, you know, at the, we're going we're gonna to talk for about an hour. And at the end of the session, I'm going to say, that's all I have for you, Dave. Is there anything you have for me? And I want you to repeat back to me these like seven things. And then she gets up and she puts this little, you know, rubber duck over here and walks over and touches the doorknob and, you know, writes the number 10 down and spins around twice in her chair and touches the wall. And then you like talk to her for an hour and you're talking about strategies and doing all this. And then, then she says, you know, is there anything, uh, is there any, that's all we have for you, Dave. Is there anything you got for us? And you're like, and I got nothing. I don't remember. And you're like, and then she says, Dave, is there anything you have for me? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit. And you can't remember any of the things, or maybe you catch one or two of them. And so, you know, those, those little, those little, uh, like you, you can't hide from that, right? Like, you know, there's, there's no one, really, there's no one in the military. There's no one in athletics, professional athletics, really, that's more critical on themselves than themselves. <clears throat> I think that's why high drive people, you know, get in that business. And uh, when you see it that obvious, you got to do something about it. So <clears throat> you know, I've heard you mention a number of times talking to a speech pathologist. Tell me why speech, when I think of speech pathologists, I think of people who stutter, have Tourette's, or, you know, yeah. they have some type of language issue. Uh, what's the significance of going to a speech pathologist and, and uh, you know, managing your memory and learning about your memory? Because I, you know, I would have thought you would have went to like a psychologist or psychiatrist or some type of neurologist, but why speech pathologist? Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's... Uh you know, cognitive, at the end of the day, it's a cognitive thing. And, and it was, um, maybe it was just who I was connected with. It was a, a brain specialist, a memory specialist, a brain injury specialist. And that was, that's really the, the business there, right? Like, we're not trying to get into, you know, um, if during that, that moment in time for me, and those moments in time for me, it wasn't really talking about you know, my experience losing friends or losing teammates or losing my brother. I mean, that's where it's a different, different conversation, a different table, different couch, right? You know, this was really, you know, how can I be a better human being? How can I be um, more present? How can I be uh, more articulate, more persistent, more, you know what I mean? So that was really, uh, that was really, you know, the reason there. And so what have you done to improve your memory? Like what was the big, what's a, a practical thing that people can take away from your experience with the speech pathologist in terms of improving their memory or, or tapping into it and being more present? Yeah. You know, I think that uh, a lot of that stuff is like back to basics. Like, Hey, let's go back to basics with some of this stuff. Um, and, and for me, that has helped, you know, being, being cognizant about, uh, you know, taking notes, um, using the tools that you have provided for you. I mean, the modern, the modern age right now is amazing, right? Like if you want to take notes, talking into an iWatch, I, I you can do it, right? Like if you want to take handwritten notes, if you want to make little, little journals and use 50 different colored pens, I mean, whatever you want to do for me, um, 
for me, it was a combination of trying to be tight on a calendar, like, you know, trying to, trying to be tight with an outlook calendar and managing meetings and, and then also using, uh, using tools like, you know, OneNote or something on the computer. Um, and then trying to be pretty diligent about that stuff, you know, and I think that that's, that's for me, um, it comes down to, I, I get a little bit OCD there with some of the notes when I'm, when I'm like, I want them to look the same way, or I want them to read the same way, or, um, you know, if you were to, if I was to turn my computer around on you right now, at the bottom of my computer screen, I have, uh, I have year, month, day, you know, in a, in a, a label maker, and it just is a reminder for me that anytime I do any document or any note, it starts with the year, month, day, and then it's searchable, right? So it's like, you know, it's just little, little things like that, um, that are, uh, you know, the tricks that I, I use and I'm not perfect at it. I mean, I was, I was, uh, you know, running some errands with my girlfriend today and talking about, you know, family shared calendars and, you know, I mean, I, I think that's a lifelong learning, you know, to try to be more, more organized, more organized, more present, more aware of what the hell's going on. And uh, I think maybe just recognizing that you're never going to be perfect about it is, is the way to do it. The only people that I ever see are perfect are our race engineers and they're damn perfect. <laughs> it's amazing. But they got that engineering mind where, you know, they're thinking in Excel. I just don't have that type of mind. You mentioned your girlfriend, and you also mentioned that you've had a relationship perspective change uh, throughout all the work that you've been doing on yourself. How do you manage conflict resolution in your relationship, right? <laughs> it, everything is easy, right? It, when she's great and you're great, things are great. But at, at some point, challenges arise and there's some disagreements. How do you two manage the, the conflict and how do you resolve that? Yeah, no, that's a good one. I, I say that's hard. It's always hard, no matter what, it's going to be hard, right? Like anyone that says that they, it's, you know, relationships are flowers and daisies and ice cream is, is actually smoking crack. But I think that what you, what you need to focus on and what I have focused on is, um, you know, po positive positivity there <laughs> and just trying to, trying to stay positive as much as you can and in really um, limiting the criticism, right? Like, I think that that's, that's maybe, uh, maybe the big thing. Um, you know, I think, I think for me, maybe one of the hardest things that I do is, you know, I, I can check out. I, I definitely, I, I definitely still will just check out and, 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 uh, you know, that's a, that's maybe a fault of mine that I, I need to work on is, is, you know, Hey, why, why do you check out so easy? But, um, you know, I think that the, the thing that I, I do try to do less of is criticize and, and yeah, everybody's struggling. The other thing that I would say is that everybody on the planet is struggling, right? Like you just don't know why or with what. And so you, you got to be a little careful there to judge. And so, you know, it's like, maybe, maybe that's part of the whole be the one thing. It's just being present and, you know, what do you got going on? Leo, what do you got going on? How, how, how are you doing today, man? 
we absolutely are all struggling, brother. And <laughs> last question, uh, I want to wrap up. I, I can hear the, the 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 rabbits in the background. Uh, <laughs> the um, you, you talked about being a voracious reader. What is there a book that you you have do you have two sons or do you have a boy and a girl or what do you have yeah i have three i've uh i have uh boy girl twins they're 14 and then a seven-year-old turning eight here soon wow and, and so what's a book that you've read that you're like my kids definitely have to read this book oh yeah this is uh man that's funny i i look at my daughter i was i was just laughing at my daughter she went to the store the other day with my girlfriend and she they came home with a stack a big stack of books and I was like man that was that was me when I was in high school and junior high I was just burning through everything that I could you know sci-fi books and commando books and you know I mean just anything that I could find um you know if I, I could go a lot of different paths with that there's some there's some really uh, what I would say is books that led me to the special operations community, but they're, they're unique stories that led me to it. Um, Louis Lamore book called last of his breed, you know, just a really interesting, really interesting classic paperback tale, right. With a, you know, great author. Um, there's another book called hatchet was just talking about uh you know um an old timer's relationship with his hatchet because it, it it saved his life right like um you know there's a, a old war book about a, a unconventional uh conflict called the jungle is neutral right um and then, you know, all the classic, you know, books that are in every library on every base in the military, right? Whether they're, you know, the, the 300 books or, you know, any, any of those sorts of things. Those are always entertaining. But when I was a child, I, I grew up on the Hardy Boys, right? Like I was that guy. I was that guy with the, the, the you know, down comforter over my head and a headlamp, you know, burning through AA batteries, you know, Barry and Hardy boy, hardback books, you know, by the dozen. And I think that it probably chased me to, uh, to my career path, you know, but yeah, that's, that's, I think that's probably gives you a sense. Yeah. I love that. I'm a definitely, I like that. Uh, the jungle is neutral. I just like the title. I'm definitely going to check that one out and, and hatchet. Um, yeah, I've always been a voracious reader myself and I don't know where I got it from because my mom doesn't read at all, but, um, you know, she kept the bookshelf. <laughs> bookshelf filled with books so shout out to moms for that uh last question because always imagine there is one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself what would you say to them dave hmm. we'll miss you And I, and I, yeah yeah and i'd say that because because i think someone in that moment has a loss of 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 uh love right like they're 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 missing the point there and, and you know the point is is you can get through that moment and there's going to be people that miss you 
right? Like, absolutely. And why are you, why are, why are, why are you going down there? How about tell them you miss them? Right. And so, yeah, I, I think that's uh, huh, good. Good question. Good question. I like it. Man, you know, it's, it's so, I love, I love your answer. That was, that was beautiful. And it resonates because I remember early in my relationship with my girlfriend, Michelle, I came home and she was like, where were you? And I was like, I'd rather have you say, I missed you than to ask, where was I? Like, that feels a little less like I'm being attacked. And, you know, since then, you know, she's, you know, reframed the, the, the language and it makes a difference. And I, and I love, so I love that you said, why not say that you miss you know, whoever it is in your life that you're yearning or longing for a connection with. Uh, because it is true, sometimes we wait for people to reach out to us, but we also have to be proactive. Yeah, for sure. I would love to tell my brother I miss him right now. Like, it's a, uh, you know, I'd give, I'd give everything in my house, everything in my life, and I'd, I'd, I'd give him that in a heartbeat, you know, so. Dave, thank you for being here. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. We're calling the new 988, not 1-800 anymore. 988, call that is three numbers. If you're, you know, international, if you're GLOW, if you're in Kuwait or Afghanistan or uh, Turkestan or any one of those stands, those ands, (laughs) uh, Alaskan, whatever, wherever you are in the world, there is a 1-800-SUICIDE number listed in each and every single one of the show notes. You can talk, chat, text. Uh, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching. Dave, tell us uh, where people can uh, find more information about Be The One or American Legion. Yeah, so, you know, be the one.org. I mean, it's got tons of resources there for you. And, um and I, I think this is just a snowball, right? Like it's a small snowball. Be the one, it's growing, right? Like we're just trying to uh, foundationally create some positive energy, you know, destigmatize this conversation. Um, and you know, let's enjoy having this conversation because we're 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 shooting for a goal of uh, you know having one person be positive, having one person reach out. So um, be the one.org. Let's do it. Join us. American Legion. Be the one. Thank you uh, so much, Dave. Thank you for tuning in. Peace. Actually, that's not how I ended. I ended with let's get to tomorrow together. I've been changing up my endings. And so now it's throwing off my ending rhythm. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thanks a lot, Dave. No problem. Pleasure being here. Thank you, Leah.